Welcome back, everybody. We are here to talk to you about a really awesome word that you can develop in your middle and high school students. And um, I'm excited about it because we need it. Let's just say that. We'll start off Ooh. with that. So uh, my name is Leslie Bolser, and I am from Core Essential Values, um, a curriculum company that works with schools from pre-K through high school to talk about um, a word each month and how it's important in the lives of kids and to provide resources for families and schools to talk about and live those values out. And this month we're talking about compassion. And I'm talking about compassion with my friend, Dr. Beth Trammell. Beth, could you introduce yourself for us? Yes. Hey, everyone. I'm Dr. Beth Trammell. I'm a licensed psychologist and an associate professor of psychology at Indiana University East, where I'm also the master's in mental health counseling director. And my focus is to help parents, caregivers, and teachers to connect more deeply um, with kids by helping them understand child development and behavioral and communication strategies. And so I love talking about words. I love how we can incorporate words more intentionally. And so I actually really love this word compassion for middle and high schoolers, because I think most of the time um, we don't necessarily think that our teens are all that compassionate. Yeah. Um, no, let's <laughs> start with that. I don't think that they always are. So tell me why this is a great word for you with adolescents and teenagers. Yeah. So when I, um, when I think about the word compassion, I actually looked up the official Merriam-Webster definition yeah. of mm -hmm. compassion, and it is as complex as we probably think it is. So according to Merriam-Webster, the full definition of compassion is sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. And mm -hmm. so this is a two-parter, yeah. right? So it starts with sympathetic consciousness which is by itself very complex. So essentially what we're saying here is it takes an awareness of what's happening in the world around me. And then I have to be so aware of what's happening through this lens of sympathy that I then have a desire to do something else about it. And so that can be really tricky for this generation. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say more than other generations? Well, so here's what I think. I think we are becoming um, sort of a, a, a culture of fast, quick, easy access, and obviously technology driven. And I do believe there is a way to show compassion through technology, but I'll tell you, it doesn't replace the feeling of being yeah. physically in the same space as someone else. And so I do think there is some truth to it being a little bit harder for this generation than say our generation, because we weren't as um, technology driven. We didn't have cell phones that we were on five or six or 10 hours a day. We didn't, we didn't communicate um, most commonly through texts or social yeah. media like. So I do think compassion is kind of a different um, beast for some folks right now. So uh, how do we use technology to help us or how do we have conversations with our kids about going beyond the technology and experiencing person-to-person -person compassion? So 
you know, I think it starts honestly with limiting the amount of time that they are on screens and trying to increase time where they're spending more face-to-face contact with people. So um, I'm probably not making friends and saying that, um, and certainly not to my two teenagers at home. I'm not, I'm not making friends that way, but I think it's, it's, it's first identifying what proportion of their day or their time is encapsulated in screen usage of whatever sorts, right? So just take a pulse. And some of your kids out there may not be using a whole lot of screens. They may not be doing video games or social media or that sort of thing. And then you might have some folks whose teens are on a screen, you know, 70% of their time at school. And then, you know, 70% of their time at home, teens naturally withdraw uh, more, Um, they want to be more independent, they may be in their bedroom more. Uh, And so start by taking a pulse of of where things are at first. And then maybe there are some intentional ways that on the weekend, you can have kind of get togethers with other people where they can spend more time that way, or you have family game night or something where you can practice more of these face-to-face interactions and give folks more awareness of, of what's happening around them. Yeah. I have uh, uh, my older daughter. I don't notice her sort of face attached to her screen all the time, but I do know that she listens to music through her phone Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And I think even though she isn't playing a video game or looking at social media or whatever, I still think there's something to be missed in the world by not having conversations with people or not hearing other people's conversations and things like that. Um, and that that's a difficult thing to give up because it's such a protection mechanism to be able to um, have that in and to be able to avoid conversations with other people. But um, but I think it's something to be aware of for parents that even if they aren't looking directly at their screen, there's still a barrier there between them and and the world that they should be compassionate to. It's so interesting. You know, I think about um, as an, as kind of a parallel example, right? When we're driving in the car, I mean, do you remember what road trips were like for you growing up? Yes. I am like- a master map reader. Because that's the only thing there was to do. (laughs) Map reading, looking Uh at signs, right? We used to play this alphabet game where we would go through all the ABCs by looking at all the signs. We would play that like bingo game. Uh, Bingo, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, where you're looking for cows and silos uh, in the middle of the city. I mean, anyway, the parallel here is now, I don't think my kids even look outside. (laughs) When we're in the car, you know, they're like literally head all the way down looking at their phones or watching a movie or, you know, whatever that might be. And so for me, the parallel here is I tell my kids a lot. I'm like, you're missing the whole world because you're looking down the whole time we're driving anywhere or the whole time. And so I'll make them like, look out the window. I'll say, look at the trees. Look how beautiful the trees are. I, I have this particular thing about trees, but um, I, I think that that's the beginning part of this definition, though. It's it's developing the awareness of what's going on around us. And like you're saying, whether I have headphones in and I'm listening to music, I, I'm never going to take that away. I think that's a great coping skill for teens. Listening to music is a great escape in a lot of ways. I think my push for us as parents is to figure out what the balance is, right, to yeah. Yeah. being able to be 
kind of in their own world and escaping a little bit, but then also how are they attuning to the world? And one other thing I was thinking about is when we are gathering our information about the world through social media, and, and if I am wanting my teen to develop better awareness of the struggles of other people, right? Because that's compassion, right? It's, it's becoming aware of the struggle of someone else and then having the desire to do something about it. There is not, mm, how do I say this? Sometimes social media is a liar. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. image that people are putting out on social media is not necessarily the true depiction of their struggle. And so I think it can be really hard for this generation to know when and how to be compassionate when, say, five out of their 10 closest friends are all posting wonderful things nine times out of 10 on social media. It's like, well, no one else is struggling. I'm the only one who's struggling and no one is showing compassion because the only way we're gathering information can be a liar. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's a really good point. Um, And, and how do you, how do you navigate that? How do you help them have the discernment to know what's true and what's not? Well, it's especially hard with this um, generation. So I'll give you an example. My Um, My daughter is 14 and she and I have conversations like this where I'll say, you know, um, you know, how are your friends? How's everybody doing? And she'll say, you know, everybody's doing good or everybody's okay. And she may share like a particular person who may be struggling. And I'll say, you know, you should have a conversation with her. And she was like, okay, I'll text her. I'm like, no, you should have a conversation with her. And she's like, that's weird. I think the, the, the challenge is it seems very unusual for them to like have a a face-to-face conversation. There's a lot of like perceived pressure about that for our teens and, and middle schoolers, especially. And so I think helping them one realize that, um, the things that people are saying either via text or on social media, isn't always the truth. And the way to, to gauge more of the truth is in having honest and vulnerable conversations, which, which can be really, really hard um, in, in middle and high school. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I think we're getting close to wrapping up, but I did want to share a story that I heard last week. I have a friend um, who owns a small business and in their small business, they have, um, it's been around for a long time um, 70 some years. And they have a practice of hiring young people, teenage co-ops, apprentices, those sorts of things. And, um, one young man, he's, he's in his early twenties started when he was a teenager at this company. And he shared a story about when he was a teenager and he fell victim to an email scam that asked him to buy $200 in gift cards. It looked like it had come from the owner of the company and the young man didn't have that discernment that you're describing from social media or from, you know, technology. And he purchased $200 in gift cards and then turned them in to be reimbursed. So the owner of the company, of course, had not asked him to do that. And so they're, you know, working with accounting to get it all sorted out. 
and the owner bought the gift cards from him. Mm. And the young man said he could have taught me a $200 lesson in not falling victim to an internet scam. But instead, he let me keep my $200 and he taught me a lesson in compassion and how you treat other people. And it was worth far more. And maybe you don't have $200 that you can just, you know, allow for a young person to um, come out of a, <laughs> a scam situation with. But I thought about going into this month of compassion, how the lesson sometimes is different than what we think it is. And that a lesson in compassion and how you should treat someone else is a lifelong lesson. And that young man will never forget what that company owner did for him that was um, just really, really impactful in his life. And for the company owner to hear that story told back to him years mm -hmm. later was super powerful for him as well. It was really, really neat, neat example of compassion. I think it's great. And I, I think the one last thing I'll share is this story can be brought straight to the living room, right? And if you've heard me, I also believe in the gift of failure, right? So um, author Jessica Leahy has a book called The Gift of Failure. And I think um, it's always a balance for us as parents in not enabling our kids to continue to make um, kind of mindless errors. And that is when I often encourage the gift of failure. And we can talk more about this on another episode. But but the, the flip side of the gift of failure is the gift of compassion. And mm -hmm. so when your teen is really struggling or when your teen is really having a hard time or a hard day and they want help from you and your initial reaction is like, you're 16 years old, you should be able to do X and Y and Z. Um, this may be that same moment, right? Where you have this gift of compassion for your teenager to say, hey, look, I know you're struggling. I know you're struggling and I want to help you. And so here's what I'm going to do to be able to help you. So I think our job is to continue to try to discern when should I use the gift of failure and when should I use the gift of compassion? Yeah, that's great. That's powerful. All right. Well, we're going to sign off for this month, but rest assured, there's more to talk about. There are more months ahead of us in the school year to talk about some more amazing words. I do want to come back to the failure idea. Um, I think I can already think of a month. We should talk about that. The rest. Yes. Of this. So tune in and we'll get back to that one because that's super powerful for teenagers as well. Um, if you want to know more about core essential values, you can find our website at coreessentials.org and you can find us on social media at CE values. And how about you, Beth? So my website is makewordsmatterforgood.com and I have two other podcasts. Kids these days need us to make words matter for good. And um, another podcast I just launched called Things You Learn in Therapy. And for your, um, any of your teenagers who might be on TikTok, my TikTok name is Dr. Beth Therapist. And I'm trying to get um, kind of helpful information out there to the teen audience. So um, you might encourage them to follow me. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you, Beth, for being with me today to talk about compassion and uh, we'll chat again soon. Sounds good. See you later.